Okay, it's two o'clock UK time. Welcome to One Chat Live. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, I've got a very tired Greg Lehman waiting down in the lobby. I mean, it is like, oh, I think it's like, I think it's nine o'clock or something in Canada. So he's obviously, I uh, saw in, yeah, so he's, he's obviously a bit tired. Apparently they don't get up till 9.20 there. So so treat him gently. If anyone is going to ask him questions, be gentle. We'll, we'll warm him up there. So yeah, welcome to One Chat Live. Thank you very much. Um, uh, what can I tell you before we grab our guest in? Oh, great news, which I hope you've seen on social media. We've now got a sponsor. We have indeed. Uh, Brighton Beard Company, who I joked about in a good way with uh, Mike James way, way back in episode whatever it was. Um, yeah, are on board. So they are our official sponsor. I'm um, looking forward to updating you with products. Anyone who's got a beard and don't know them, then just go to the website. I'll give you a little flash now. Hold on. Let's have a look. Here we go. Brighton Beard Company, especially if you're from Brighton and you like supporting your local companies, then um, I mean, I could give you a, a, I could talk about their impeccable fragrances and their beard balms and beard oils, but it'll all sound a bit weird if you haven't got a beard. But if you have got a beard, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you know how much you pride yourself on, on things like that. So do go and have a little look if you're going through all of the brands. Obviously, I use it and I recommend it. So there you go. That's my little uh, big up for the Brian Beer Company. And thank you guys for joining us. And they'll be sponsoring us for the conference as well um, in October. Uh, but here, clean shaven, although I think he did have a beer once upon a time, um, is going to be Greg Lehman, who I'm going to bring up now. So give him a little five second countdown. There we are, Dr. Gregory Lehman, as I've been calling yeah. you online. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I've got two yeah. things, because sometimes I see you talked as announced as doctor, which I don't know what you feel about. Sometimes I see yeah. you announced as Gregory or Greg. Does it depend who you're talking to or who, who's 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 listening or what's the yeah, score? Uh, well, I, I don't request anything, so I guess it depends who's talking to me. <laughs> good answer. Me. I don't good care. Um, There's too many doctors. That's quite a lot, but sometimes I feel kind of a, not obliged, but I kind of like like when I'm putting the conference notes together. I think if you've done your PhD and you've got the title, then oh, uh, I have yeah. a PhD. So that's the thing. That's that's where it gets. That's a huge debate. Oh, uh, really? I have two masters and one chiropractic, and in North America, Cairo School somehow they wrangled themselves uh, a doctor years ago. Oh like, Jesus! I've got to change all my advertising. You're not a yeah. real doctor. Yeah, that's what my right. kids say. <laughs> I think we'll just wrap it up here. I'm feeling a little bit deceived now. It's kind of like the, the, the in the, they have a DPT in the states too, where it's a doctor of physical therapy, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. And yeah, osteopaths sometimes announce yeah, they, doctors. They, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big debate, and let's oh, not right. get into it. It's boring. Okay, so Greg, thanks for coming. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be nice to see you. No, thank you very much because I know you're a very busy man, and uh, you have joined us uh, slightly earlier than you'd normally uh, get up. um but i needed you on the podcast because i wanted to do a session on um pain which Mm -hmm. um i i quite enjoyed wording it in the advertising because the goal of run chat live is always to try and make it applicable to both therapists and runners because my kind of i believe that often therapists will either overcomplicate it or start telling things which are necessarily evidence-based. So they need to kind of have some information, some guidance. And on the other hand, runners also aren't educated enough or they'll just listen to the fastest runner in their club or something. So my ideal is to have someone on who can kind of speak in language 
which will uh, be of value to both therapists um, and runners uh, and maybe even help therapists talk to runners which is part of the problem as well isn't it about communicating it's all very well being a doctor for example we can slag off doctors now because you're not a doctor so it's all yeah. very well having a phd and being really academic and being able to talk all these long words but it's not much use in the clinic is it if you can't explain basic things um would you agree uh yeah you do need to be able to talk to people yeah <laughs> uh, and also i mean and i'm sure we'll approach this later on it's kind of letting them use their own language isn't it uh you mean like uh, our, our patients or runners or well take a take a run or somebody who's suffering from pain to help them um to understand what's going on often it's it's, it's all very well coming up with your own metaphors and your own analogies which you kind of really hook onto yeah for sure yeah, and then like a lot of rehab and helping people with pain, you you can use running as an analogy. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been in this game for quite a long time, haven't you? Let's face it. I had Simon yeah. Bartold on a couple of weeks ago, and he's quite. A, I can't use the word dinosaur because you're kind of hooked up with Meekins, aren't you? So dinosaur has a negative connotation, but old in the sense you've been around for a long time. Um, he was talking about graduating in. I don't know. I think he did zoology and. 86 or something crazy but yeah. you've been producing research papers and working with Stu mcgill we're going definitely back to where what are we talking about 96 i know it's incredible and yeah. i always remember meeting you for the first time i think down in brighton and you were kind of saying you were you you hear people talking now and i think when the louis gifford book came out and it was talking all about how he was discovering this in his own journey you were thinking i was thinking back in 96 i was thinking the same thing i just didn't tell anybody about it do you yeah, still find that frustrating? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, uh, I, I was lucky because I was introduced to a lot of the concepts that are getting more popular now. You know, twenty plus years ago, uh, and I wish I had have been able to talk to someone or take Louis Gifford's course when I was. I'd be twenty-two or in in ninety-six. So that really would have helped me and and sped things up, or at least like. Telling someone like that, telling you're on, telling you you're on the right track, would would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it would be nice if, because I think there's a in in the first book, there's a story of where it was David Butler sitting down and Louis Gifford was in the bath and they're kind of chewing the fat and talking about stuff. It would have been quite nice if it had been you sitting there next to Louis Gifford in the bath, maybe having a chat. <laughs> sure. <Right. laughs> Do you think that would have changed your life? Considerably? Or if I could have just been the third dude in the bath. Well, I don't know if they were in the bath. Oh, yeah, we'll just draw that analogy there. But yeah, no, it is strange that all around the world there was kind of different people getting on. Obviously, Mosley and Butler went on to do great things and kind of probably become the most famous, um, definitely on YouTube, thanks to probably Mosley and no small part because of his the way he talks and analogies he puts together. But I think, and I always think it must be frustrating for people like yourself who were kind of there doing the research and finding these things out, but just didn't. You know. Oh, no, 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 not frustrated. No, no, no. Because uh, my research was always very biomechanical and uh, exercise based and simple. My, my observations on pain are, are from reading their stuff. Uh, like they're, they're, they're the trailblazers and just working with patients. Yeah, actually, that, that's not true that I read David Butler before Mosley. I didn't, I didn't really read Mosley hear about him until I was maybe 10 years into reading about pain. He was a late edition. I didn't really know his stuff. I, I was reading uh, well, John Sarno for a while, and then just o older researchers like, well, there's some Canadians like Mick Sullivan, who's uh, a psychologist, you know, and Malzac, and th those people before mostly. Mosley was just sort of the cherry on the top for me. I guess the key word there is reading. 
because I think Mosley really hit the scene with the YouTube and the TED conferences and stuff. And that's suddenly when that media came out and he did his kind of snake in the grass story, then that exploded and so many more people got to see it. But yeah, one of them they, readers. Wrote, they wrote Explain Pain too over 10 yeah. years ago. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, anyway, well, I thank you for sharing your expertise here today. Um, I had a little think about how to make this applicable and understandable to runners. <clears throat> and I was thinking as I went for my little morning run this morning, which I often do, what am I going to say to these speakers? I'm going to keep them interested for an hour. And I thought maybe because I've I've I might ask you questions as if I was a kind of a novice runner who is experiencing because I am experiencing some tendon pain, uh, right Achilles. And I, I was thinking, OK, let's ask Greg some questions um, about some thoughts that I might have if if I didn't have any understanding of, of pain um, and see as if I was just a, a new runner. And then you can kind of chime in and 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 explain things along the way as if you were talking to a runner in front of you um, who was suffering the same kind of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep, I got it. So we're talking about me um, and um, I'm upping my running. I'm 50 years old now. I know. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely, I think that makes me a veteran runner by about 15 years, but yeah, I'm up in my game. So I'm going from three times a week to maybe four or five times a week. I'm getting excited because I've got like a, an event I'm going to, which I'm not going to run, but I just want to feel good about myself and stuff and be able to run if I wanted to. And it was all going quite cool. Um, went to four times a week. I did some hill sprints yesterday and suddenly my right Achilles starts aching. Um, not during the run. It was after the run. I was had a little bit of a limp actually and i suddenly thought oh no that's the end of it it hung around it stayed with me all day long yesterday um take it from there achilles pain straight away what's going through your head yeah that your achilles hurts <laughs> <laughs> and if i came to you and said look i know what it is because somebody else in the club had it i've got I've, I've 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 got some degeneration there. i've heard this word degeneration is that what it is do i need an mri take it away uh, yeah you, you definitely don't need an mri uh, and the, I mean, the, the big thing with anyone's pain is we want to understand it and normalize it and, and know what's going on. So anytime you think someone has pain in the foot or in the Achilles area, you want to make sure that it's primarily coming from the Achilles area, right? So as long as it's not the spine or I don't know, the hip would be weird, but not some referral, it's not something like sinister, you know, something like really nasty. It's just, just, well, it's, it's the the source of irritation is the Achilles. And with what you told me, it makes sense that your Achilles is sore. It'd be weird for you not to have Achilles pain because you're kind of stupid. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that, that's what we're looking for. And my patients, we usually have a relationship where, where I can talk like that. But, you know, if, if you've just been running three days a week and maybe only doing it for six months or so or, you know, three months and you just started hammering out some hills, running up and down hills and you hadn't done anything like that, it kind of makes sense that you have Achilles pain, right? You're, you're just not used to it. And then I would ask something like, when was the last time you just jumped on your toes as maximal effort? And, you know, it might be 10, 15, 30 years ago when you're a teenager. So you really have to ease into it. That, that, that would be the argument. And so now the question is like, you know, do you have to back off or what can you do? Or I don't know, what is your question next? <laughs> that that would be my that. that would be my yeah as a runner then um in my naivety yeah i'm just keen to know can i keep running on it i mean the interesting thing and i'm still playing in character here i'm gonna have to create a little kind of like when i'm me and when i'm the character but anyway um 
as speaking as the runner, I noticed today, I decided to go out on it again today. Um, cause I remember someone telling me if you just got a little bit of pain, then don't get too worried about it. I think I read it online somewhere. So I went out for a run today and I took it nice and easy. And you know what happened? And I was amazed by this after a, a one mile out of four, I did in the end, the pain just disappeared. So I figure I'm fixed. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I mean, things are probably still irritated, but you did the right thing. You got to go out and you, you're allowed to go out and run a little bit and see how it goes. But, you know, you probably ran slower and t didn't put as much force through the Achilles and as quickly. So, you know, keep keep doing that. But you you probably want to watch the hills for a little bit. And this and the speed work would be the idea. Right. So you you are allowed to run with some pain, but you can't be stupid about it. And that and that's the big challenge. So because the pain went away, it's probably safe for you to keep running with a little bit of discomfort. But rule of thumb, you know, cut your intensity and then maybe cut your volume for a little bit and give yourself a couple days break if you need to. OK, so I've heard there as a runner, then uh, I can keep running, which is good. I like what you're telling me so far. Uh, maybe cut the intensity a bit. Why is it? And this kind of brings us on to understanding a pain a bit. How can the pain disappear if I'm still running? It started off and it was going crazy. And I was like, I should stop. I should stop. And I just kind of, I think I kept going the same speed. And for me, for no reason at all, suddenly I thought it's gone. And I'm thinking I'm fixed. That's fine. It's just one of those momentary things. Is is it a case of where I'm no longer damaged or injured or what's going on? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to go into like character here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we got to, you know, into you playing great, man. Now you stuff. <laughs> All right. So, because there, there's so many issues here, right? Yeah. Um, so with like any type of Achilles pain, you, you're, you're going to have the tissue involved somewhat, uh, most likely, uh, but the, and you certainly could have degenerative changes on that tendon. If someone got an MRI, it's just that those, those changes in the tendon, they just predispose you a little bit to having pain, you know, to having a tendinopathy, but they're not destiny, right? So you can have those changes. That doesn't tell us much, but they're not nothing. They're not insignific insignificant either. And they probably could have been building up your whole life, those, those, those changes, and you've just coped and adapted with them. And then at some point in time, we think you have more stress than you're used to, usually some sort of mechanical stress when you're running, and then that just flares you up. And then the, the pain you feel is it's, it, it, it's not a good sign of how much damage there is. And it's not a good sign of, of like really anything. It doesn't really tell us that much uh, about what the tissue is like or anything. It just tells us how sensitive you are. So we want to listen to it a little bit, which is, which is backing off, which, which you did, but uh, you know, if it settles down, which it can do for some reason, we have no idea why if we really don't, we just know that it's worth giving it a try and doing a little bit of stress is good for the body. And you, you just want to monitor it. If it backs off, that's the most important thing. If it stays at a level, that's pretty minor for you. Meaning like when you're running and the person is running and it doesn't really look like they're in pain, that's probably fine too. Right. So we, we, we often say, don't let pain be the guide, but it does give us some information. It does guide us a little bit. If it's a ridiculous amount of pain where you're limping and you can't walk the next day, then that's too much. But if it's pain and it's okay and you're not limping or it goes away, then we, then we keep going. But why that goes away, we really have no idea. And anyone who puts forth uh, an idea here, it's a complete hypothesis. Like they're just guessing.
there's so many variables that are going on. We really don't know shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's interesting as well. I mean, you talk about levels and I'm at, I'm, I'm back to me now. Um, but the amount of runners I see, and I'm sure it's the same for you and many therapists who will happily tell the person they're paying money to see that when they say, Oh, on a score one to 10, what are you kind of running through? They'll say, Oh, probably about a seven or an eight out of 10. And they're planning to go out running again tomorrow. How is it? Do you think that runners get into this state that they're quite happy to run on like a 80% of what their maximum be? You make it clear to them a 10 is you going to A and E. A 10 is like you think you've seriously done something nasty yourself. How close are you to that 10 when you're running? What are you feeling? And they'll say seven or eight. And they're not even joking. How do they get to that state? Is it specific for runners or they just seem so desensitized to the idea that they could be, you know, causing their body harm running at those levels of pain? Yeah, I would dig in more. Like someone said it was seven or eight, but they felt that they were still okay to run. I, I kind of want to know more like how they felt when they were running, if they were limping, you know, how, how, how bad it really was, like how bad it is the next day. Does it get worse after they run? And mm. so they might say it's a seven or eight. I, I, to be honest, I'm trying to think of patients that would ever say it's that high. Usually, like, and I work with a lot of runners. I don't know if I, I see that that much. They tend to minimize it, if anything. And often I, I often feel like I'm pulling back uh, a lot of my runners, which might sound odd because I do believe in teaching people that they can persist into pain. But an endurance runner who's been running for years, I feel like sometimes our role is to pull them back sometimes. So, so with that, if they think it's seven or an eight uh, and you find that the pain is really sharp and it gets worse later, and it's worse the next day or a few days later, and then they're not training the way they want to, then I think we have to step in. They, they'd be what we will call an endurance coper. We have mm. to step in and explain, like, there, there is times to listen to the pain. And there are times to think that the, this, this, there could be structural changes that are going on that are important that we have to respect. So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe the whole one to 10 thing isn't like, well, like you say, you kind of alluded to, it's not, by itself isolated is not as useful at all as it no. might sound i think sometimes runners say it to me almost in the way that they're kind of showing off and i'm sorry if you're listening to me and i've worked with you but in the sense that they're showing <laughs> off what they can put up with like yeah. oh it's a seven out of ten but that's cool i don't I understand I'm, I'm a runner i'm gonna do with a bit of pain so yeah i think it's useful like you said more concrete questions like are you having to change the way you run um, even the word limp, they don't like admitting to, but sometimes you say you're having to run in a slightly different way than they'll admit to that. Um, yeah. is, that a, is that a sign if you're having to change your stride in the way you run? Is that like a, a bit of a red flag in terms of, right, we need to seriously kind of consider what's going on? So like it's normal and natural to ch change your stride when you run just to keep running and that's okay. But if it's like, if the pain is really driving a limp or something that isn't a natural, like a, a gait modification, like it's okay to take shorter steps every now and then or change your foot strike angle or run a little quicker as, as long as they know that. But if they're like, if they're, if they're really forcing a change and, you know, grimacing, you know, anything like that, where they're communicating, communicating pain, uh, like besides them telling you it hurts. I think that that's too much. Yeah. Okay. And at what it's stage? It's, I think it's the hardest question to deal with. Like when can you keep poking into discomfort and when do you have to like, you have to respect it and shut things down a little bit because the, the long-term issues are, are going to be there. And it's just going to last for months and months where if you took some time off initially or modified and cross-trained, it would cut the recovery in half.
yeah, yeah. It, it's difficult we we definitely need more research here i mean i sometimes i like the idea of helping runners self-manage and not necessarily spend that initial money to go and see a consultant to some form like just kind of manage it themselves run a little bit less be sensible take out the hills take out the speed see if it goes and gradually back yeah but then also i think sometimes it's worth just going to see a consultant as long as they're kind of like educated and kind of evidence-based just for that one chat especially haven't been for a while just for that 30 minutes or an hour to get assessed hopefully it's nothing and then just to put you to keep you on track um, the danger, I think, is some runners will go and see a consultant and then suddenly they find themselves kind of s suddenly embarking on six sessions and kind of sharp yeah. and take a breath. But I try and encourage runners that don't treat it as you're not going to a, a therapist for treatment. You're going for a chat. You know, you might end up chatting about something which wasn't even a, the initial concern because these days therapists hopefully will be more savvy if they work with runners on things like coaching, on programming, on strength training and stuff like that. So... I tend to say to run if they've got any new discomfort, which is kind of, oh, where's that come from? Why is that going on? Um, just to go and see a, a reputable therapist. Is that fair? I, I, I think so. I mean, that's the primary thing I work on with, uh, with the runners that I work with is their training modifications, mm. right? And then um, the next thing is often maybe adding some strength training, but, I, but not, not too much. And I sell strength training that it's, it's just good in general for your health. And the last thing would be like, or the next thing would be gait modifications. And the last thing would be like manual therapy, which I don't like the, the classic stuff that we do that we rub and move stuff and fix things. But definitely the, the running pr program design is the most important. Even in an elite athlete who has a coach, like just pointing out some things they, they appreciate or the coach will modify if you give them some education. You don't have to, like you can feel sheepish thinking like, who the hell am I to tell this, you know, world-class or canadian level runner that they should modify their training they it they probably already know a little bit and and someone else saying it can you know, you know sell it to them a little bit that it's okay to, to modify things yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because sometimes i think the 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 more experienced runners can be the first ones who as soon as something happens they'll go for some kind of advanced latest technology therapy of some form and they'll read about it and get encouraged you know the amount of experienced runners who who have, who have not come back to me and gone to have some form of acupuncture or dry needling or something yeah. instead because they've been told this is what you need you know yeah. is is quite scary i don't know there's the attraction i suppose of especially if it's more expensive i think that's where the economies of scale come and come into it if you charge a lot right. for some service they think wow this is going to be really good um and yet it's not always that way is it Oh, no, certainly not. I mean, you, I, you can try those things. They aren't necessarily uh, harmful. And hopefully if you're getting those passive therapies, you're also getting good training advice, you know, that 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 they have to go along with that. And I, I think when you do passive therapy, like, and I certainly did all those, some of those passive therapies in the past, but I really think it was what I said and the planning that we did that really helped people. How much, and it's a difficult question because it depends on who you know or, I always think there's a little bit of a kind of inverse relationship between the more expert you are in some kind of passive therapy, then the less you're going to be actually giving advice on loading and training. And because you're so immersed in this kind of procedure, I don't know, is that unfair? Uh, yeah, it's probably true for some people. I mean, 
it definitely wasn't true for me when I did a lot of hands-on therapy. And my joke always was that I was rubbing people with my mouth. Because yeah. like, uh, uh, the, the ethos in Canada is that it's so much manual therapy. And that's what, pe- what people would come for. And I'd almost have to satisfy that. But then I'd be talking about their training and other things that are going on uh, and their work stressors and life stressors. But I had to have my hands on to do that. No one, no one would just want to come in and sit down and go come up with a plan. And maybe I wasn't skilled enough to be able to, to sell that. But I always, I, I always did both. Yeah, and and I and I do think there's something to be said for, and and I know there's no research on this, but I think manual therapy or acupuncture, which I don't do, the, the, the one to two days of pain relief is sometimes valuable, right? We, we, like if, if you look at the isometric contraction literature for tendinopathy, I know it's debatable, but the whole point was to give short-term pain relief, right? As, uh, along with the other benefits of long-term strength training. But one of the big selling points, if it did work for those people, was short-term pain relief. So we've kind of acknowledged in the profession that there's some value in short-term pain relief, right? You have these great researchers doing it. So if manual therapy can give you that as well, it's just like taking an Advil or a Tylenol. Or I don't know what drugs you guys call it over there, but mm. different than us. Then there, there's, that's okay that you feel better for a couple of days. But as long as you sell it as that, this is just for a couple of days to have a little bit less pain, and it might help your training as well. It, Would you're you... not selling it anything special, yeah. That kind of leads to maybe, I wouldn't be surprised now if you said it gives you a window of opportunity. No, I don't say that. <laughs> no. I don't even know what that means. Like, Because I, I, I can get people, I think they say window of opportunity so they can strength train and run. No, the, you can still strength train and run with pain. It's just, no. it's, a, it's a success in itself. They just feel better. There's nothing wrong with having less pain, mm. even though you know that you're going to get better in six weeks anyway. Right? Like if I have a headache and I take some drugs, I know the headache's going to go away by tomorrow, but I'm going to have less pain today. Yay, I have less pain. That's a success in and of itself. Mm. And I don't, th- I don't know why, but people don't like to talk about manual therapy that way. Either the haters don't want to, you know, saying, oh, well, who cares? It's going to go away. And the people who support it, because they want manual therapy to be something more than just a short-term <laughs> fix. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with the short-term fix. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know. I, I think that's the nature of the argument. There. That's why no, but that's why you end up with polarized debates, isn't it? Because um, and I'm I'm the same as you. I mean, I teach massage, I teach massage, I teach sports oh, I therapy, that. and yeah, yeah. But I mean, I use your mainly on the adult classes, but I will kind of use your. Don't forget, you're going to be massaging your client with your mouth probably more than your hands, or have a more of effect with your mouth, and you get the laughs and the giggles. But I quote you on that because I think it's such for me. That's why I enjoy teaching massage and 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 because I do think like you've just said. If you get that trust and commitment with somebody laying your hands on them, which is a really kind of like um, kind of close relationship, then they're just much more receptive. And most of the yeah. education you can do is when you're doing this, you know, and if in the meantime, they're going to walk out feeling healthier and better and like, wow, OK, this guy's kind of it's a yeah. good thing. you know. And, and if you're also telling people like pain is a poor indicator of the problem that's going on, which we touched on, you know, manual therapy illustrates that especially if you say, I haven't changed shit about your structure. Just for some reason, you've desensitized. And that's mm-hmm. why it's okay to keep running a little bit. Or sometimes we do, we do need to back off. You know, can I go touch on when to back off a little bit? Maybe that'd yeah, be Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and, 
and we do need more research here, but it's it's sort of like, to, to me, I always back off. I always back, always a back off. I always back off with acute stuff that just comes on, especially with like higher loads or you find the history, something's really new and different. E even in elite runners, like who, who run, you know, maybe a hundred miles a week, but you find out they just added more downhills this week and their hip is killing them and it's super sharp. And and then when, and then you can recreate it in the, in the clinic and it's it's a ridiculous amount of pain. So it's new. Back off. Just take a few days, you know, or three or four days. Or and when they do start to run, just go for a hard walk and run just a kilometer. Or just take it easy. Like it's the start of the season. Say, there's no rush. You don't need to like teach yourself to have more pain. That's the problem with pain is we get better at having it, right? And so sometimes you want to back off, but. So that's, that's at the early stages, that's easy. And then maybe the extreme, the other side of that is when you want to start persisting into pain is like they have backed off, they're hardly doing anything, they still have pain six months later, you know, they've done so much avoidance, now is the time, definitely, okay, we can start running. Like you've, you've given it plenty, like this often, it's not your patient, they've been seeing someone else or something like that, and they've tried to avoid for so long, and then you're like, okay, well then, the, the pain is definitely not that well related to the problem, you know, whatever the tissue is or anything. So we have to start poking into pain. Now, those are two extremes. And then our, all our other patients fall somewhere in between there. And that, that, that's the challenge. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I want to, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm nodding in agreement as a therapist. I just wonder if you could clarify I mean, you've, you've, you've mentioned it a few times now that the relationship between the pain and maybe tissue damage, um, some people, I mean, I called this episode, um, oh, right, so you're saying it's all in my head? Oh, yeah. Because I think that's something which, as soon as you start saying, oh, the pain you're getting is not because of the tissue damage, maybe it's because of sensitivity elsewhere. How, um, first of all, what are you referring to when you're saying they might be suffering from pain, but it's not caused by tissue damage? And so then, sec I, yeah, do that first of all. That makes sense. Yeah. So the tissue, I believe the tissue is always involved. It has some sort of like, and, and, and so the tissue can send signals, you know, to the nervous system and the brain and the person that has, that can have nothing to do with damage. You can have inflammatory mediators and other things going on. And we don't really understand that. So you could have lots of irritation signals coming from the tissue that has nothing to do with how damaged it is. But I mean, it doesn't matter. But the amount of pain you feel doesn't reflect, you know, how irritable the tissue is. That that's that's the issue. Some of us are just more prone to feeling pain for whatever reason. Or there's other factors in our lives where, you know, you can have this these irritation signals from the tissue, and it's what we do with that that leads to like the amount of pain that we have, which is really odd. And this is where you'll hear like, you know, endurance athletes in college who are more likely to have pain when they have academic stress or they're not sleeping well. You know, all, all, all of these variables where endurance or dancers, it's hostility, you know, and anger, you know, th things like that. So it's like the tissues involved that sends these irritation signals. Then it's, it's kind of what we do with that that leads to the amount of pain that you feel. And so that's all well and good academically, uh, because it's the pain that really stops people. And you don't want to keep, again, hammering into pain if you're running, but it sort of says, okay, what can we do treatment-wise? And it means you want to work on all of those things. You work on things that can address the tissue sensitivity, and you want to work on things 
that can influence how you respond to that tissue sensitivity, which isn't always. So it's a it's an inter it's a interplay. It's never just in the head, and it's never just in the tissues. It's a big 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 net that we need to treat these things. Okay, so you mentioned, for example, uh, stress like academics doing their exams, lack of sleep, hostility. So any kind of you're saying that any kind of emotional state might amplify the signals we're getting from maybe what is actually a little bit of a minor incident somewhere, let's say on the Achilles, and it can get amplified and because of external facts or internal facts in terms of our emotions, it can get amplified and make it worse. Yeah. So how much can, in that case, I mean, because again, if I was acting as in role as the runner who's just heard that is that you saying to me i've just got to tell myself look it's not it's not a big deal just calm down it's fine it's going to be okay can that is that what you're saying i mean crudely that's part of it it's that's like acknowledging that it's more than just the tissue and you sort of understand that there's an interplay but i don't i don't know how much that helps people i think that you know that gives people some hope you know, that they're not falling apart if that's what they're really worried about tissue-wise or it's because they, they have pain because they're getting old. It, it kind of like, to me, that takes the edge off that understanding. Oh, okay, it does make sense that I was really sore this week because I had all this work stress or school stress, you know. So, but it's not, so that part, that's part of it, but it also gives you, you know, a bit of a roadmap that there's other things that you can work on. Or when you have like, days and weeks of high academic stress maybe those are the weeks where you modify your training you don't train as hard you know you you do high volume still or whatever you're doing as a runner but maybe you decrease some of your workouts a little bit yeah so you, you work on everything is the idea i think that's uh i mean that always reminds me of there's a there's a relationship isn't there between if you've had a stressful day then you want to go out and hammer out a run because it kind of the endorphins momentarily do make you feel better but I do find myself saying to runners sometimes that if you've had a really bad day or a bad night's sleep or an argument and you're feeling kind of pent up frustration, then maybe that's the time not to actually go and hammer out a run. Yeah. Or, you know, only don't hammer out three that week, you know, or just do, do one or two or something like that. Yeah. That, 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 that is sort of the, the idea there. Um, but, but again, it's difficult. And I, I would say, since there's guys like me saying, you know, pain is complex and there's all these factors that influence it, it, it doesn't, it's not fair to say that you have to get rid of all those other stressors, you know, people's work stress and family stress and anxiety and depression, all those things like running helps those things as well. You know, so does training hard sometimes. So it's more like we acknowledge that those factors are there and I think that can help some. And then you work on the ones that you can change, right? And, and accept the others and know that you're robust enough to tolerate those other ones. Yeah, the, I think you have to be really careful. But guys like me have to be really careful. When we say pain so complex, we're not saying everything needs to be perfect, right? It just yeah, gives yeah. us a few, a few options on what to work on. And, and then you might have runners where, you know, they, and, and this sort of minimizes my role as a physiotherapist, where if someone is dealing with anxiety and depression, like, and, and they keep getting injured or having pain, that perhaps it is the anxiety and depression that they do need a, a professional to help them with, right? That whatever they're, they're running was helping them cope before, it's still part of their coping, but they might need more help. And it is minimizing our role as coaches and therapists 
as you know physical therapists. So that's cool too. Like we should we acknowledging that is going to help a lot of people as well. When you say it's interesting, when you say it's minimizing our role, you could look at it that it's kind of broadening our role and the skills we've got to have. And I mean, it's important to know your boundaries, but I think that's one of the things about therapy that has to change is runners need to understand or anybody, particularly runners need to understand if they are going to see a physiotherapist or sports therapist or a chiron osteo, that they're not just going for that kind of manual therapy. They're not going to get fixed, if you like, that they should expect the therapist to ask them about their life and possible stressors and sleep and nutrition. And I mean, does it mean that, and also about anxiety and depression, how things are going on and what level stresses your life at the moment, does it make it tricky with knowing your boundaries, professional boundaries? And, or does it just mean that as therapists, we need to broaden our boundaries and do more certificates in almost some form of counseling? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Like asking those questions, uh, and you don't have to ask them the first session. It depends on your, your style. You can slowly ease into them. Uh, I mean, the easiest question to ask for therapists to, to like open the door for people to think more about pain and injury that it's multifactorial is like, does your pain change with changes in sleep and work stress, right? You're just, and it opens up the idea that it's more than just your running volume and how fast you're running and your pronation or whatever stuff we're teaching. Um, so I don't we just because we ask those questions questions doesn't mean we have to be prepared to treat them. Right. So we don't need to take new certificates, you know, and so or like uh, and, and I would also say if, in, if it's anxiety or depression, that's a contributor to pain. Um, we are or like fear or something like that as movement therapists. I still think we're the we're the best people to deal with the anxiety and fear related to movement. Because movement is the primary driver of the fear and the anxiety. But if it's the other way where like anxiety and depression seem to be the primary problem and the pain seems secondary from that, does that make sense? Yeah, then yeah. maybe the other therapists, psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, social workers, maybe they are the ones to do it because the, the pain is secondary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that so distinction. Yeah, that's useful. Yeah. I mean, I am always harping on about that that, that therapists do need to be prepared for these situations where they are going to find them asking these questions and then knowing, well, first of all, having the confidence to ask them yeah. uh, how to react if that person, I mean, I've had runners who have started crying, especially if it's a long-term persistent um, injury or, or pain, then not the first session, but eventually third or mm -hmm. fourth, they'll come back and say, you know, when you asked if there was anything stressful going in my life, my daughter, my son, my husband, my, it comes out. Yeah. And it's almost like inside you have to control your satisfaction. You're kind of hoping not to go, yes, I knew it. But you're thinking, great, because that would be inappropriate. But you're thinking, oh, I'm really glad in a way because this explains why this regression in your running patterns or why the stuff we've been trying to do, this gate retraining, whatever, isn't necessarily taking root. Because you kind of think maybe if we can deal with this and not get rid of the whole of it, but at least, at least acknowledge it and maybe – when I think as, as therapists, once you get that bond, especially, and this goes back to if you, especially if you're laying your hands on them, then they are kind of receptive and you can maybe just open the door to, you know what, I need to have a talk to that person. I need to ring my daughter or I need to do that. And you just, yeah. I don't know. But then I think, oh, geez, imagine if they go home and approach their husband and say, look, my therapist told me I've got to tell you that you're not allowed to do this to me, that you have to do the washing up sometimes. You think, oh, Jesus, am I <laughs> overstepping it? 
But if they come to you and they're just not getting over this pain and you've explained to them, look, I think this pain is probably, I mean, it's, it's going to be, a, it's being amplified, like you said, by kind of like emotions and stuff. And that if you really want to get over it, I can massage this as much as you like. But I think we got to address this other part of the problem as well, especially as you're paying me, you know, every time you come here. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes, it does make sense, but this is why I think CPD is so important. This is why I try and encourage therapists when they're looking for, um cpd and kind of courses just to, to, to do more educational yeah to do more so, so i agree with that i i think i might have i might have misinterpreted you i i don't think people need to take courses from psychologists mm. i think it i think there's the i i have and i don't think that they're helpful <laughs> like because they, they don't under, understand the movement or some of them don't even really understand the, the science of pain that has surprised me um but because the way that we're addressing these multi factors, like the multi-dimensional nature of pain, it is still related back to tissue injury and all of these things. Like there's a better way to explain depression and anxiety and rumination and fear. And it comes back to like, to, to still have some physical intervention. Some sometimes like how, how movement and activity and meaningful activities interrelate. So I, I still think we're the, one of the best professions to deal with movement related pain that is, you know, influenced by uh, all these life stressors. That's what I mean. Like, so take a Peter O'Sullivan course or something like that, you know, take from a, from a physiotherapist. You don't have to take, you don't have to go to a psychologist is is what I'm saying. That can be helpful, but make sure that they're, they're, they're focusing on activity related, like things that are in our scope. Yeah. Those interventions. So maybe Stephen Linton or Valet and these people might be good psychologists to take it from. Yeah. But not just a, a regular run-of-the-mill cognitive behavioral therapy course. Mm. There's other I think ones even just play. going down to someone like yourself, like um, I remember we hosted Mike Stewart as well. Yeah, um, Mike would be great. Yeah, Mike, Just things which prepare you. I mean, I remember I, I was talking the other day to somebody, the day that Mike came to Brighton for the conference, I was like, chairs were ready, screens ready, electrics are working. And then suddenly I just had a little cast my eye around the clinic and I could see we had like, uh, I don't know, we had the typical kind of knee with the meniscus kind of out next to it on the shelf. And we'd had a spine with a bulging red kind of thing on it. We had these mugs printed with athletes in rehab. And I was like, oh, geez, I might be going over the top here. But if you give someone a mug saying athlete in rehab, it's just going to reconfirm the idea that they actually need rehab. And I had to strip the whole thing and tear it all down and change posters. And because I think, but that's healthy. I think that's what therapists need from a CPD course is to walk back into clinic and think, right. That was really interesting. I haven't got a new manual therapy technique. I've got enough of that. I need to have a look around about what environment the patient's walking into. I need to have a look about what impressions I'm giving them about their pain and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think they're still fairly far and few between. They're definitely dominant or there's definitely far more latest manual therapy technique. Give it an acronym. Um, you need this. Suddenly it's got 20,000 or 50,000 hits on yeah. Facebook. It's It's a battle, isn't it? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, but thanks to people like you, hopefully coming on the podcast and every other podcast um, that's out there. I think it's a good media to help spread the word. People are enjoying this kind of listening and looking and definitely the listening podcast to get new ideas. Um, so, yeah, I think, it's yeah, I, think people, way. I think what's happening is certainly with, with my course and, and why people like it. I, I think there's this, a, a lot of my course is confirmation bias for people. And I know that. It wasn't the intent uh, because a lot of people are realizing this on their own. 
and they just need a little bit of guidance of how to follow the path that they've already started walking on, right? And so, you know, like that, there are a lot of people realizing this, that it's not, uh, I got to find the right place to put my needle and I got to get the depth right, or I got to learn to put my hands this way and get this line of drive and force vector. They're realizing those things don't matter, right? And so, mm. you know, that they're realizing leg extensions are just as good as squats for knee pain. <laughs> You know, yeah, I can't yeah. believe there's a big thing recently about how there's a, a famous who I respect, a strength coach named Mike, Mike Boyle, who was saying, who was pissing on leg extensions. Mm. Like, come on, this debate's 20 years old. There's nothing wrong with leg extensions. They're going to help a lot of people. They're not functional or something. Can't believe yeah. we're still having these stupid things. So we, we do need people to keep repeating this idea, right, that, uh, that we can simplify our mechanical interventions and get better in other areas, which you really need to do. There's always, I mean, it was the lunge against the squat before, wasn't it? And the like, it was, it's not functional exercise. They're always there in the background. I mean, I yeah. think the way forwards, I think the people who can make the most difference in our industry is, is persuading runners. This is why I hope the runners listen to this podcast. I want them to actually go to a therapist. And when that therapist starts not mentioning things like, I don't know, how are you feeling? Are you stressed? Blah, whatever it is. And just going straight into some kind of like, I don't know, cross-fictional rubbing on their Achilles or something and putting them through pain and going, don't worry, it's going to hurt a bit. I'm going to make you better because I'm re I need that runner yeah. to actually either say to the therapist, I'm not quite sure about this because I read or I did. I'm not, I don't want to make life difficult. Well, I do in a way. Yeah, you I do. The runners, <laughs> well, yeah. I want, I think it's, it's, I think it'll be a faster route to actually educate runners sometimes and patients rather than the therapists. So a lot of the therapists are stuck in their ways and they're worrying about their livelihood. You know, they've probably got kids and they've got a mortgage yeah. and a car and they're thinking, geez, if I rock the boat, forget it. But if they start getting runners who are saying, well, I'm not coming back. Sorry, I just didn't like the way you were just putting me through pain. I've read that it's not great for you to put me through this excessive pain, then they will start changing, won't they? Because their audience suddenly goes down. So is that is that something which is a bit naive and it's not going to happen or? Uh, I, I have no idea if that will happen, <laughs> but I don't think it's naive. It's still a, a reasonable goal. Do you get runners going in your courses? Do you get non-therapists or is it all very, always, always clinicians? Yeah, it's usually clinicians. It's geared toward clinicians. I don't think I don't think, I mean, if patients can read the workbook, that's for free. So they need to, I would encourage people to spend their money elsewhere if they're not clinicians, you know, mm. or coaches or something like that. Yeah. yeah it's not, yeah. not really set up for the patient. I think, I don't know. I mean, I try now and again, I do workshops for running schools and, and for clubs and things. And I'm kind of trying to find that middle ground where I'm, presenting as if I was nearly presenting to clinicians but just in a language that runners will understand and obviously there's far more sharp intakes of breath because they're still thinking they're still looking for controlling their overpronation and stuff like that yeah um, and I try not to be sarcastic and kind of like but they're all still as if it was the study showing that you know shoes stretching was the Sarajevo study or about what runners believe is uh the risk factors they're still it's still happening it's still there they still believe that it's down to and um, that sort of stuff but anyway um okay so runners who are watching this hopefully have got some more ideas about what pain is and how it's not a, a, an accurate measure of damage um you've mentioned um yeah looking at other factors in the life what about um let's have a think about 
you mentioned strength training and i love following you for many reasons but one of the things i love about you is that you're all very quick to challenge your own biases and i love following you when you're saying that you know we haven't got that much evidence for strength training in terms yeah. of it. you know it's a great one i think it's healthy you know and you mentioned like with adam that it's the other benefits of strength which are important yeah i feel like people get mad at me when i talk about strength training or they kind of act like i i don't do it and i it's oh, just so far from it, the truth. It, it's so well to me like people because people are so rabid about it and i'm like yeah i've been advocating strength training for runners for 20 years like it's not a new concept to me like they they try to when we have the debate they're educating me like i'm ignorant i'm like no i i recognize that runners can do it and it's been part of training programs for decades but when you look at the like we say these things like we just like we say like it's so fantastic for injury prevention and i've always like i was a strength and conditioning coach before i was a therapist right i've always advocated this it's my bias but if we're really honest and if we're going to be critical of so many things that we're critical of like acupuncture or whatever intervention then we have to be critical of that it, it really doesn't have any evidence right now to prevent injury in runners everyone always cites the lorison study and i probably said his or her name wrong because and that has like six research papers that look at strength training and injury prevention and i think four of those papers are for hamstring strains in football players mm. and the other one is a military paper where it's not endurance sports and the other one i don't know is, would be acls or something like that so right it's it's not even the type of injuries that runners get right so i i'm like you we have to be a little skeptical fine advise it but it's just you're just guessing right like and, and don't be disdainful if someone says i don't want to run i don't want to strength train i want to just have a really good uh program to get better at running mm. like you have to respect those wishes of our patients unless we can say with like definitive proof that your injury occurrence will decrease you know 80 percent or whatever it is, which we don't. Right now, it's just a guess, you know. And I still tell people to do it, but if they don't want to, well, it's gonna be harder. To, it's, you, you can, so if they're like, "What's the evidence?" I'm like, "Well, a lot of us just tell people to do it." <laughs> yeah, but it fits in quite nicely with kind of low tolerance and kind of, and also with just people seeing that they can actually um, lift heavier weights than they thought and give them confidence and kind of climb that step. If you've got a rehab ladder. So rehab, it makes sense to do strength training for rehab, yeah. right? But for primary prevention, right. what do we have? Like okay, yeah. people, like, and so it's a really nice debate. Like what prepares you best to run? Strength training or running? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's what's, that, I love that, that discussion. That's what's really interesting. Like, do you have to do something that's like so different from your goal task? like heavy squats or heavy calf raises to prepare your calves to run uphill or do you just have to run up hills right that's that's a yeah i don't know it's cool how about the plyometrics is this i mean that was mentioned in the Lawson study as well wasn't it what what were they same idea it's, it's yeah it's a, for injury prevention and that would be more with the fifa 11 it's more with the acl stuff and girls mm. right so definitely helps with acl tears and and some, uh, I think even some knee pain in those studies, inconsistent, but in general, it's pretty good for the, those type of injuries. Um, but 
but it but it's a challenge like and then if you think of plyometrics well what if you just have people sprint or do fast repeats or run up hills and run downhills like that's yeah. a plyometric type action yeah i just don't no it's a, it, it's a it, it it's a neat debate and it does dovetail nice into into performance right it, it is strength training necessary uh, is it the best way to get improvements in running efficiency right mm. or like just does a good progressive comprehensive running program is that enough and you don't get any extra gains because certainly people will get will get performance gains from strength training but then mm. you have to wonder are, are they doing the best training program they could be doing mm. right could you could you replace those three strength training sessions with better running sessions yeah, Does that make true. sense? Yeah, we yeah, never yeah, have yeah, to, we need good control groups like that. And I haven't looked at the research in a while, and I'm not sure we always have those good control groups. If you just yeah. added another 39 minutes of, of speed work or hill work or something like that. From what I see, when I when I see you and other kind of professionals critiquing research, it always seems to be a case of, yeah, but look at the control group. You think by now they would have kind of thought about that? Like someone should have the one goal of, right, let's make sure the control group is going to be good because otherwise Greg Lehman is going to be slagging us off. But they still don't yeah. keep worse to it, do they? It seems, or maybe it's really difficult to come. No, I, I don't judge the researchers. It is ridiculously difficult. Yeah. And we still need those proof of principle papers where it's just shows that it can be helpful. But I'm just, I'm just saying like, like, and I and I typically only critique the stuff that's really similar to me. Mm. You know, I critique exercise because that's what I advise, or I critique critique pain science because that's what I recommend. Like, I don't yeah. like to pick on low hanging fruit. I'm not out there like telling everyone how shitty the latest ultrasound study is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make really? myself better, right? and I and I want to feel like uh, if I'm going to be critical of other things, I, am I am I really critical of what i like to do but you say that in your modesty as if it's just something which i mean that's in essence what every single therapist should be doing looking at what they do and then critiquing it themselves and thinking i believe this am i right could it be something else I'm yeah the, you know that's let me just um criticism. yeah to to bring it back to pain again and and link it with strength training so you said in rehab <clears throat> i think um so i'm conscious of the time what about let's go back to the initial thing about the achilles let's i mean the 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 research is quite favorable um for some form of either high intensity strength training definitely in terms of pain during let's imagine a calf raise of some form do you use a one to ten in terms of what to expect when you are loading that achilles tendon you know what like i find um it usually doesn't hurt i and i don't i don't have people do a lot of rehab exercises that hurt for usually like it, it hurt. It's usually like a one or a two mm. just doesn't hurt that much, especially with the tendinopathy. Cause you're going to do a slow, heavy load mm. and a slow, heavy uh, load usually doesn't hurt that much mm. when people have a tendinopathy that much, but will there always be a little bit, which they're kind of concerned about? Yeah, maybe a little. And then the little bit that seems to be acceptable. Yeah. Right? And often that goes away after the first or second set. Yeah. And I mean, something I find myself, the other thing which runners are famous for doing is they'll just be told by the physio or something like three sets of 10 and they'll stop at 10, even though they could do 20. So it's taking it to failure, to fatigue. Yeah. And it's sometimes difficult. it's difficult getting that point across of 
does that mean I have to work through the pain or how do I know when it's totally fatigued and there's that crossover fatigue and pain? Yeah, um, again, I would tell them that it's totally safe to do that. The fatigue and a little bit of pain is fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just uh, often it, they, they don't hurt. I don't, I don't know why, even though it'll just hurt running. So much of tendinopathy, it's really hard to rec recreate unless it's really similar to the goal task. So that's yeah. why strength training is nice. It gets that load in there and we assume the person is adapting to that without it really hurting yeah so fatigue is fine or is necessary i'm going to start pinning you down now i don't i don't know i i do it because we don't know we don't know better yeah uh, uh, i like that you, you probably need close to fatigue to get strength and endurance gains you definitely mm. need those um but i don't know if you need that for rehab that's the problem because with, with rehab, we don't, again, we don't know what catalyzes pain reduction. We don't know if getting stronger is required. It just often happens when people get better. I know you're, everyone's listening. What the hell is he talking I about? I know. This? Yeah. You're starting this to annoy is, me as well now. Yeah. I'm this like, is oh, the thing. <laughs> and, I, and my computer's dying. I started at a hundred percent and it's down to 14%. Uh, I might have to walk and talk and get something to plug this in. Uh, I'm going to plug in my computer. That's okay. Look, we only got three more minutes and then, and then, uh, yeah, then, uh, that's quite a groovy effect going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just find so many runners who come to me and they think they've been doing their exercises and they've been, and it turns out they've been doing three sets of 10. Yeah. Oh no. I thought you were telling quiet. me to be quiet because you're no. walking past sleeping kids. If you just joined us, we're just having a look at the keyhole in Greg Layman's house. Yeah, just we, walk through the lounge. It's, it's a nice overhead it. dimming it's light. 30 years out of date. Uh, there seems to be a, few jacuzzis around there i can see some swings of some form of contraption that was and now we're trampoline. going into the cellar oh there we are <laughs> this is our irish pub <laughs> no i believe it as well yeah i've still got nightmares of you trying to explain to me stretching for runners in a in an irish pub with a bit of napkin and a pen with yeah. celebrating patrick's day i don't want to go there again it was just a ridiculously oh, yeah, surreal it was so yeah um fatiguing <sighs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I just, so here's the thing, like, it's uh, the alternative, that, isn't it? What's the point of a runner just doing 10 and then stopping at 10? Cause they've done 10. That's, there's no adaption. There's no stimulus for adaption. There's no set so, principle. So you're right. There's no stimulus for strength Yeah. or, uh, there may be some stimulus to get the tendon because if the tendon gets a certain amount of strain, like four and a half to 5%, hmm. uh, that might be enough to cause the tendon to uh, adapt. Uh, you know, if, cause like, here's the thing, if once, if, if they failed or they had trouble doing more than 10 reps, um, then that's enough of a stimulus um, to, to cause the tendon to adapt. And if they, if they get stronger quite quickly in four to five weeks, the strength gains initially are from the nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. Getting better at producing force. Um, but the tendon will still, if the, the tendon wouldn't have thickened up that much, so the tendon will still be undergoing the same a similar amount of strain so that's enough for the tendon to to adapt does that does okay. that make sense yeah and so yeah. but you're right the it's probably not of enough of a progressive overload for the person to get stronger anymore but the problem is this is the issue with with rehab is we don't know why people are getting better with rehab exercises okay 
it may not be because they they're getting stronger. It could just be the act of of working out. There could be anti-inflammatory properties associated with strength training three times a week, not even to fatigue. That that's where we have to be a bit humble here. I do mm-hmm. think there's definitely a subset of people where the tendon needs to adapt and they do need to get stronger. And but I don't know who those people are. So to cover all of my bases, I say train like you want those adaptations. So, so it's that simple. So if you have that person who's doing 10 and they could do 20, well, you need to give them more load. Mm, yeah. Um, I can't remember the study it was. I think it was it was something about like one of these, how many repetitions is necessary. And it was kind of because the other the other idea is do 30 or 35, 40, 50 repetitions, you're still going to reach fatigue. But then it said that kind of other factors have caused that fatigue. Uh, like boredom like kind of like your body just doing the same motion and getting tired of doing the same thing and they kind of argue that the maximum should be kind of uh, 30 repetitions because in theory you could i mean you could just use your body weight and then as long as you tire out by 50 but does that kind of make sense that you might be causing for tendon or for tissue i think i think it was for tendinopathies i can't remember the the exact study but it was kind of suggesting a a, it was distinguishing fatigue via kind of 50 reps and it came out with yeah Kind of 30 so the, the systematic review by Bohm, which is the most famous one, they would argue, because that would be under a 70% of the max you know, right. strength, that, yeah. that that would probably be like a 30 to 40% one rep max level. And with those low level of, lo, lo, that low level of contraction, you don't get tendon mechanical changes. Yeah. So that, that which is weird. Uh, you get muscular changes, but the tendon doesn't seem to stiffen up. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. Because I remember they were quoting it in terms of percentage of yeah one rep max and things, which I always find a bit confusing as well. Because how are you going to measure somebody's one rep max in a clinical environment? Oh, you can't. You you just extrapolate, right? Like, yeah, someone fails at eight reps, then you're like, okay, there's your eight RM. Yeah, and then if you wanted to, you could go go, get a table and figure out figure out what their one rep max was. Yeah, yeah, one rep maxes are hard. Like they're not. I mean, they're safe, but it takes spotters. And <laughs> we used yeah. to do it for bench press. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you did. I can imagine back in the day. In well, the look, day. it's um, three o'clock now. So um, I'm going to try and let's uh, think. So, yeah, I think it's important that runners understand. I mean, it's really healthy for therapists to understand that you question everything and you question your biases. But I don't want runners to walk away too confused thinking, oh, like Greg just said, I don't have to do strength training because there's no evidence for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do that in 30 seconds. No, no, I have to write some show notes. If I, had to, if I had to spin it, like there's plenty of evidence that it will improve your performance. There you go. Yeah. And there's plenty of evidence that strength training will, you know, uh, decrease your fras- fr- fracture risk when you're older. It'll improve muscle strength, which is important when you get older. Mm. Uh, and running isn't. Running won't do it as much, surprisingly. So if you just want to be a healthy human in the future, then you should be strength training as well. Okay, and and nice. what's what's great, I think it's Rich Blagrove's work. Um, and the, these guys are great on this topic where like 13 minutes, three times a week, boom, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sufficient. Squats, yeah, yeah. deadlifts, push-ups, pull-ups, done. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Great, Greg. Um, one thing I do think for runners, I, I still I look at the way you write. I think it's very accessible for runners as well. I mean, I like that's why I refer runners to you as well. I mean, they have to be a little bit geeky in the sense that it's just to see a bunch of words and it's going to stop them going out the door and running. But for any runner who's interested in reading, I always direct them towards your blogs and um, to have a look at things like core exercises, what you've just said, which strength exercises should I be doing, and etc. So they're all still up there, aren't they? Your website's changed a few times since I've known you, but now it's just Greg yeah. Lehman, isn't it? Yeah, that's easiest. Yeah. Um, and all those articles are still there if they're looking for them. Um, yeah, for there therapists, might be some dead links, but yeah. There's a few I find now and again, but I do try and either email or your. I mean, for therapists, I think it's very healthy. Your dear so and so letters, which are still available, aren't they? Like dear Julie and dear, all your oh, kind yeah. of very. <laughs> they're all still great because it tag. shows. Yeah, that's all. It, I'll put some tags in for those because it shows how two professionals who are, looks like they're on the opposite side of a coin can have a actual a pleasant debate without attacking each other, which I think is really healthy and should happen more. Um, so we'll put some of that in the show notes. Um, oh they're great now i really admire you for doing them there's too much bickering and attacking and and it always i think you've found out yourself so many times and at the end of the day it, we're all on the same page pretty much aren't we most of us still always want the best for the client and it's kind of like we're just saying in different ways yeah for therapists have you just been in england weren't you in june weren't you in hertfordshire or something no or? no we cancelled it no one oh no did one, you no one cared seriously <laughs> yeah but I'm Jeez. I'm in the UK a lot next year. What That's chance exciting. have I got of filling up this conference if no one comes to see you and you're in England? That's ridiculous. <laughs> I see. I may as well cancel it now. It's ridiculous. Oh, surprising. Okay. Well, look, shame on you, therapists. Um, I don't know what they're. I still I do know what they're all booking for because I see what they're talking about and it still annoys the hell out of me. But but you say you you're in the UK next year, are you? Yeah, like three or four times. Okay. Right. Well, we're just gonna have to. It's I'm so difficult. Jack. I'm a, uh, I'm in Manchester. Oh really? For yeah. is it uh, particular? My two day no, just a regular course. Oh cool. And then okay. in London in February or something. Yeah, yeah. And Sadly, you won't be able to it. join me in um, or us. You won't be able to join the famous ten. You were supposed to be one of the lineup for yeah, ten. Yeah, that would have been awesome. I'm yeah. I'm at a I'm at a I'm at another like running sport course, like a, a sport physiotherapy thing in Vancouver here. In Vancouver. Which is yeah. less for you to travel, isn't it? I understand. Uh that. you know what? Not really. <laughs> Uh, like no i guess it is i mean vancouver still takes me four and a half hours no really hours, yeah yeah, it yeah. Takes me six to get to london six and a half yeah well you will be missed i think we're going to try and maybe sort out uh something um to try and hook you up and have you live on a big screen doing a few giant swings or something but we'll see yes um but yeah it's really exciting because we're going to have people like jf and simon bartold meeting each other for the first time even though obviously they've talked so much in common ground but and uh and chris johnson as well so it's a shame you're not there but maybe 2020 but um yeah yeah we'll see. you gotta ask early give you more notice this time when i man of your stature well, i think i'm almost booked for 2020 <laughs> really jeez <laughs> But anyway, well, I'm, uh, I thank you even more then for giving me an hour of your morning today, of your, of your morning today. So thank you very much for that, Greg. Yeah, if people want to contact you, do they do it via the website or you hang out mainly on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Twitter, or Twitter? Mostly. Yeah, Twitter's the best one. Yeah. Pithy. And details of all your courses coming up, um, obviously, on your website. Yeah, um, that's, um, that's almost, yeah. They're almost yeah. all listed fantastic and and you're now i mean it's great as well that you're doing the podcast with adam they seem to i mean i love that i think it's a partnership made in heaven because sometimes adam just does my brain in a bit 
he just seems too <laughs> Neanderthal for me. It gets my nerves, the swearing and everything. And it's just my personal preference. But you come along and it just kind of, you're almost like a, yeah, it's a great combination. It, it, it made me listen to it. And I, I can't wait until each one comes out. So thank you for that. Oh, um, if anyone's thing. not watching that yet, then they should do because that's another free CPD. It's fantastic. Are they enjoyable? The next, you enjoy them? Yeah, I do. The next one is on uh, the JOSPT motor control, special motor control issue, which really, really put a B in my bonnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm gonna get people are gonna be mad at me for criticizing because I'm critiquing so much lately. But the reason I critique that so much because I think it's an unnecessary complication to clinical practice that makes therapists. Uh, feel like they don't know anything and need to take extra training and they don't they can just <laughs> do yeah, it in another it across, area i can't think of anyone who or for me anyway i don't know maybe for other people that ruffles out their feathers but you put everything across every time you could ruffle a feather you end up questioning yourself so you it's difficult to get annoyed with somebody who ends up turning around and saying but then again i might be totally wrong because this and this you know oh no i've been told i'm exhausting Really? Oh, I don't know who listens to you there. I don't know what that's all about. No, anyway. it was on Twitter. I was like, give me a break. <laughs> Exhausting. Well, they anyway, all right. They just can't stay on topic and they get insulting. I'm like, come on. Why, do, why really? does it have to go that way? Yeah. It's sad. Just stay on yeah. topic. Okay. But anyway, well, thank you very much, Greg. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you down in the lobby and then I'll say, I'll come and say thanks to you um in a yeah, couple okay. of minutes just while i've signed off okay mate but thank you very much we'll make sure on the show notes your website and everything it's disgusting that that course had to be cancelled sorry but i'm really annoyed i, I, okay. I can't believe I, it i could use the break it's ruined my day <laughs> I, i'm not gonna uh, kids forget it we're not going to the beach that's it i'm in a bad mood right i'm gonna say goodbye thanks greg um i'll, I'll come and see you in a couple of minutes okay okay thank you brilliant cheers right then oh that does bug me oh See, the trouble is I go around and I'm, I'm members of the groups and I see other therapists going, well, what's the latest manual therapy technique? Oh, this ARGTIF thing is really big in the States. Let's do that. Sign it up. It's only three grand. Oh, fantastic. Book a play now. And I just sit there crumbling thinking when I hear that. I remember when Greg first came to Brighton in the UK. And honestly, Greg's not here now, so I can say whatever I like. But it was, I think it was one of the first courses he did in the UK for the reconciling biomechanics and pain science. And he was like saying, oh, what do you think I should charge for it? And he came up with this ridiculous figure. I'm not even going to quote it now. I think a bus costs more than that these days in Brighton. I was like, mate, no way. What are you talking about? And even then it, we chose it or he chose a price that which was so generous. And so compared to what some of these courses charge. Um, but anyway, therapists, I don't know. If you've listened to this, then maybe, you know, maybe you're a little bit interested in getting some evidence-based CPD. And um, we'll put links to Greg's website and his UK dates and all that up for you to see. Um, go to one of them. And honestly, for a lot of you, same it was for a lot of therapists, it'll be a life changer. I know that sounds a bit deep. But it's the same if you go on a Mike Stewart course, um, if you go on a Ben Cormack course, if you go on these guys were talking about what comes out of your mouth as well as what you do with your hands. It's a no-brainer. So yeah, do please look out for them. Right, um, way over time now. I'm going to have to extend my Buzzsprout uh, monthly allowance in order to put this online as a podcast, but that's fine. It was worth it. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, thank you as well to Brighton Beard Company for sponsoring us. There'll be links to their website. Um, I do, if you are of the Hisuit type, then do go and check them out. Um, 
as weeks come on, I'll have some products and I'll tell you about and why I like them so much. But thanks, obviously, as well to Greg Lehman. Uh, we are back next week. Um, I know who it is because I've been prepared. We're going to be talking to um, Jason Fitz um, of strengthrunning.com. Um, I was on one of his podcasts recently. Great bloke, been in the game for years. Um, he was talking about strength training for runners. Well, his whole website's called it, so he chose a good one there. Um, he will be my guest next week. Um, Time-wise, um, I can't remember. I'll let you know. Uh, look on Twitter, look on Facebook, look on Instagram, look on Pinterest, um, everywhere you want, and you will find out the time. On the website, runchatlive.com is probably the best place. On there, we have a countdown to the next speaker. We have um, all the podcast episodes, all the videos. So unless you've got your favorite podcast player, you can always just go to runchatlive.com, and it's all there for you to listen to as well. Thank you very much. Um, 12 past three, so I've overshot a little bit. Um, we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you and adios. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.